Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us on the Zoe Church Podcast. This Sunday, you are in for a treat. Pastor Julia, my wife, is bringing the message today, talking about a new series that we're about to begin called Placebos. Thank you to everybody that subscribes, likes, comments, and shares our podcast. And again, thank you to everyone that gives to Zoe Church to help us get the message of Jesus around the world. If you'd like to give and start to partner with us, you can go to our website or text Zoe to 77977, and we'll send you a link. You can begin that process. But let's jump in to this week's message from Pastor Julia. There's a scripture in Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 7. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. And uh, the Gospel of Mark, there is a chapter, uh, chapter 11, where Jesus comes in with a lot of emotions. Now, uh, we see Jesus as this perfect Savior uh, who is uh, an image of petting a lamb, and he is nice and tender and soft. He's all those things, but uh, Jesus has a backbone. And uh, in chapter 11 of Mark, we see Jesus with a lot of emotions come in with the... He he has conflict with the temple and the merchants there. Uh, he is cursing a fig tree. And in the same, same chapter, he's arguing with chief priests. But there's this verse in Mark, and it might be familiar to a lot of people, that addresses believing. And I love it that we see Jesus with all these extreme emotions. It's because he cares about right believing. He cares about how you think, because he knows that if you can think right, you can live right. In verse 23, it says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, mountain can symbolize your Goliath, your problem, your issue, says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. How many of you here want to believe that the thing that is in front of you, that you have faith that God is able to move it? Amen. Now, I want to talk for the next few minutes about not just right believing, but the impact of our expectation. Because I believe that if we can learn how to expect great things, we can see the great things that are actually in store for us. How many of you believe that God's plan is that we would have the fullness of joy? Amen? Amen. Anyone here want to be happy? Anyone here want to be fruitful? Anyone here that no matter if I offer you a million dollars, you still won't wave your hand or look at me in the eyes? That's fine. That's fine. You belong here. Um... Well, I, uh, Chad and I, we have recently joined uh, the baseball cult. Sure, culture. Come on, guys. At least it's better than the soccer cult. Sure, no? Okay. Hey. Um, 
But uh, all three boys are in baseball right now, and uh, we're learning a lot about the culture of baseball. It's a strong culture. There's, um, there's the app and the snacks. And I'm not talking about the t-ball snacks where you, like, assigned to be the snack mom, and you get the cute baseball bags, and you, like, fill them up. No, this is, like, snack stand, snack stand duties. Chad and I have to complete, and when I say Chad and I, I mean me, we have to complete six snack stand duties. So Monday night, I did the grill. Tuesday night, I, for like three and a half hours, I fried French fries and served up slushies. Known fact, do not order a slushie at a snack stand because when we cleaned for that night, the blue and the red beverage that they call a slushie, we just leave it in the machine. You don't dump it and refill. They just leave it there. It like brews overnight. And then that's what you get. I don't know how long they brew it there, but it... I left it there. Maybe I'm fired from the snack stand. Maybe I was supposed to clean it out. No, the instruction said to leave it. But there, it, there's a strong culture. There's, um, you know, there's, there's the baseball moms. And um, you're like, wait a minute, you have three kids in baseball. Aren't you a baseball mom? No, I'm a mom that has kids in baseball. There's a difference. And uh, before I go after the baseball moms, if you're one of them, we love you. But I know that you're not here because you're like in a war room, like putting your like little pawns together, you know, but... Um, it's intense. They care more than the coaches. It, it's amazing. And, um, and then there's like these like chairs that everyone has. They're like the exact same chairs and the exact same navy blue. I'm like, you, want, you don't want to send a link? Put it on the app. I check the app, you know. I'm like, you guys all know like the games that are coming up. And I'm like, just put it in the app. I know you have side text messages going on without me. Um, oh, we're fine. Trust me. I don't want to be on those text messages. <laughs> but all three kids um, are amazing in their own ways. And when I say amazing, I don't mean amazing at baseball. I just mean that they're amazing kids. And um, our seven-year-old, uh, he gets up to the plate and we say, good job. And when we say good job, uh, he didn't you know, he's not like hitting the ball. We're just saying good job that you like got up to the plate. Like, and he got the game ball one time and it's not because he hit the ball. It's because the ball hit his bat when he was up there. And he danced to first base. It's the cutest thing ever. He looks at the crowd. He gives him a thumb up, whether he strikes out or not. Like he's happy. And then, you know, and then the nine-year-old, like he's in serious baseball. I mean, this is, this is an intense situation here. I mean, the, the stakes are high because they're nine. I, they're not high. It's not high. I don't know why it's so intense. Um, but our five-year-old is the best to watch. Like, this is the most fulfilling. Yesterday at the t-ball game, um, he gets up, and he, I mean, he is just, like, warming up. He is convinced that he is going to hit it so far out there. So he does. He hits it all the way out in the outfield, and he gets into the car, and he says, you guys, are you so proud of me? <laughs> and we're like, yes, Clive, we are so proud of you. I don't know where this unearned confidence comes from, but <laughs> he has convinced himself. He believes, truly, he believes. He says this sometimes to us. He believes that he is the best on his team. He'll tell us. He's like, aren't I the best on the team? And as a parent, like, I have to tell him, yes, you're the best on the team. 
But he thinks he's the best on the team. He thinks he's the best in our house. I Potentially, I think he actually thinks and he's convinced that he's the best in the entire Dodger dugout. Like he, he is of the belief that he is amazing. And isn't that what we want for our children? Ultimately, isn't that what we want for ourselves? Is to believe. But the issue is, is that we live a real life faced with all sorts of things. Say, faced with conflict and pain and problems. But I think that the um, imaging of a positive future and when we picture that for ourselves, like childlike faith, creates an expectation and a confidence that has been proven through research that ultimately gives us and produces a happier life. It produces in us more fulfillment, more confidence, less depression, greater well-being, greater health in our physical body. And if God cares about us, He cares about our belief, as we see in Mark chapter 11. But the thing is, is what creeps into our belief and what creeps into our confidence is this thing called doubt. Now, doubt is going to come. Doubt is part of our life. But what we can do and what we can control as believers is how we direct our doubt. See, much of the research in placebos includes pain. People with pain, people with sickness, people with illness, people with terminal illness. And these sugar drugs can release the brain's pain relief chemicals and produce uh, dopamines that actually create belief and contentment of happiness. Now, many of us, when we're in pain or when, when we look for relief for our pain, we use this tactic called numbing. Now, my seven-year-old Maverick, he recently had stitches before you feel any sort of empathy. Uh, this is like our ninth round of stitches for our children. So this is, you know, this is like a Tuesday. <laughs> Taco Tuesday. We have stitches Tuesday. Um, so we get there and the nurse comes in and she goes, well, we're going to give you a numbing solution. Do you know what that word means? Do you know what numbing means? Now, my seven-year-old, uh, he has a beautiful mind, and he loves to understand what all the words mean. So he's like, no, can you explain it to me? So she, in a very confusing way, explains what numbing is. And he thinks about it for a minute, and then he goes, oh, so basically what you're saying is that you're going to put my pain system to sleep. I was like, oh, that's a powerful way from a seven-year-old to explain it. But really, without knowing it, a lot of times we make conscious decisions to put our pain system to sleep. Now, some of us have um, extreme measures that we take. Some of us have uh, 
uh, mild measures that we take. Some of us have blackout tendencies. Some of us have freakout tendencies. Some of us have ability to, um, to medicate with food, with exercise, whatever the example is. We have all have a habit of numbing. See, this context or this imagery is proven to have a substance that is taken that has a result of a chemical reaction within their brain. And that chemical reaction sends a reaction to their body. And ultimately, their spirit and their heart and their soul and their peace. Now, they, what they're battling in the brain is doubt. And doubt is a tricky thing because really, it's a mental state in which the mind remains suspended between two different places. Two or more contradictory predictions of an outcome, unable to be certain of any of them. So doubt on an emotional level is indecision. Between what? Between our belief and our disbelief. And there's a story in the Bible where a father, a parent, who's in pain for their child, which there's no greater pain than feeling the pain of your child. And he has carried this for many years. And he's in a place of doubt. And it, it addresses, and Jesus speaks straight to his unbelief. In Mark 9, verses 21 to 24, Jesus asks this boy's, this child's father, how long has he been like this? See, this child has had a, a bad spirit. He's been seizing. He's been flailing. He's been uncontrollable. This father has witnessed this child live like this awful, unimaginable place for several years. So this father responds to Jesus and he says, from childhood, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. And then he says these interesting words back to Jesus. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a powerful image that in one sentence he says, I believe, but can you help me overcome my unbelief? And I thought about that, that that is so common for the majority of us in this room. Because the reality is we actually do believe. We believe in a God who can perform miracles. Many of us believe in a God who, who has the best for us and who can have an outcome for us. Of a, He has the ability and capability to have an outcome for us that is good. And yet, we still struggle with unbelief. So this father is looking at Jesus and says, but if you can, but if. Because I believe in you, but I'm tired. 
I believe in you, but doubt has crept in. Because when we have pain, our confidence and our trust and our faith in him is pressed and pressured. And it's pushed in a way where we have to make a decision to direct our doubt in a way that says, no matter what may come against me, no matter what pain or circumstance or distraction or discouragement that comes against me, I will be strong enough to put my confidence and trust and hope in the one that overcomes doubt and uncertainty and worry. And I love in Psalms 121, it gives us the remedy. It gives us the solution. It gives us the answer when we are discouraged, when we are exhausted, when we are frustrated. It says simply just to look up, to stop looking at the circumstance and fix our eyes on the one that can help. It says, I lift my eyes to the hill. I look past the thing that is worrying me. I look past the thing that is taking control of my mind. I'm not stuck in the contradictory place between belief and unbelief. I'm choosing to hold my belief because I look up and I say, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. Look up, look above the doubt, look above the frustration and choose to fix our eyes, choose to gaze, choose to behold the one that is able to direct our doubt above the place that we can see. Look up to the one, look up to him. What was fascinating in researching these placebos was that there was a word that I kept seeing over and over and again, and the psychological impact of a word called conditioning. And I thought that that was really interesting because so much of our life, our daily life, and also our Christian walk and our faith walk with Jesus has a lot to do with conditioning. And I thought that there was such interesting results on the conditioning of the mind and how basically this substance and this fake medication was conditioning someone to believe a result that had happened because it was basically a trained belief that one thing was going to happen as a result of something else. Now, today I can tell a large group of people that a new product will change their life. Today I can tell you that oils are actually a real thing that could change your life. Just kidding. I'm not going after your thieves. Calm down. I love them. I use them. I don't know if I believe fully in them, but... um. But belief in products is an interesting thing. In 2022, 
people, I'm not saying primarily women, but $7.7 billion was spent on the beauty industry. $7.7 billion for people desperate to buy products to make them look or to make them think or be conditioned to think that they are going to have an outcome that looks better. Because we are conditioned to think and to believe that there is an outcome to everything every single day. See, when I wake up, I am conditioned to believe that my first cup of coffee is going to make me more like Jesus. Can I get a witness? Amen. Now, also, when I drive my car and I get on the 405, I am conditioned to believe that there will be traffic there. I am conditioned to believe that when I go to the California State DMV, that every sin comes to my surface and creeps out of my pores as I try to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. But we have a lot of conditioning, don't we? On a daily basis, we're conditioned to have a belief of an outcome that's going to take place in everything that we do. This is why it is so important that we make a decision to get our children into the house of God. Because when they're older, it says that they will not depart from him because they have now a conditioning or we can say a foundation or an anchor of belief, a root system within them. Proverbs 22, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, it will not depart from him because it's within him. Expectations are also called prior beliefs. It helps us make sense of what we are perceiving in the present based on similar past experiences. You know what is so interesting is that the people group that have the least amount of results from the placebos are the group that has the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Why? Because the lack of memory results in a lack of expectation. Now, the word remember or a variant or a synonym of remember is found throughout the Bible in over 500 different passages. In the Old Testament, we see in Exodus, you saying, remember the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, it says, remember the old days. Ask your fathers about them. Ask the grandpas. Ask, ask them. They can tell those stories to teach the younger people about the miraculous things that I did in their day. In Psalms, it says, I remember the days of old. And I will choose to meditate, to focus to have a fixation on the things that took place. I meditate on all that, that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. 
In the New Testament, we see it all throughout Paul's um, experiences where he is conditioning himself to remember God in prison, in persecution, in bondage. He's, he, he's saying, I, I remember, I know, I'm confident that in hard things, I can put my trust in you. In John chapter 14, we get the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. And it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. We use our memory as a basis to determine our result. We remember. And what happens when we forget? What happens when doubt starts to invade? What happens when we forget? He, he says, forget not. Forget not all the good things that I have done for you. Remember, taste and see that I am good. Experience me once again. Do not forget all the things that I've not only brought you out of, but the things that I have in store for you. Do not forget to take time to meditate on me day and night because it fixes your gaze on the reality of the miracles that are transpiring or that are in motion amongst you and in front of you. But what happens when we forget, and worship team, you can come join me, is that doubt and discouragement start to take space. But what, when things take up space, when pain begins to pressurize, there is no room for the dream. There's no room for the dwelling of the promise. There's no room for vision to excite you. There's no room for expectation of a beautiful tomorrow. Because all we can see is the uncontrolled conditioning, rehearsing, I can even say lying, discouraging, distracting, frustrating you, telling you everything that you're not. Doubt is an evil thing. But if we simply look up, and we see what God sees, not only for our tomorrow, 
not only for our households, not only for our children, not only for our children's children and our legacy, not only for an, our an amazing city. Stop doubting the dream. Because that would condition you to have unbelief. But if we can just get in the practice of seeing the things that God sees, seeing the beauty that's all around, but seeing the beauty that's within you. Before you were created, he knew you. He made you, he wired you, he knit you together. You're his creation. You're his design. You're his workmanship. Are you calling our creator on He's, he's, he's a master. He's the molder. He's, he's, he, 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 he's the artist. He knew exactly what he was doing. So why are you doubting how you were made? He knows every hair. He knows every quirk. He knows all of the unique parts about you. And because you were created in his image, you were designed for good things. You were designed to be a vessel, but a vessel cannot give what it does not have. It cannot expect and serve and love and even see if it doesn't have the ability to open up the heart and the soul and the will and the spirit and the mind to comprehend the creation that we were made on purpose, for a purpose. See what God sees. Declare over yourself the I am statements. Declare over your tomorrow I can statements. Declare over your future I will. Because you can see through heaven's lenses. The scripture says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. What's behold? Opening our eyes, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look, gaze, behold, get your eyes up to the heavens. The one who was and is and is to come. Would you stand with me today? God, you see every person. You see.
every home.